and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name's Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is Genevieve Gornacek. Genevieve is the author of The Witch's Heart. It is her debut novel, and it is delving into Norse mythology. This is the story of Angraboda, a banished witch who falls in love with the legendary trickster Loki, and in doing so, uh, risks the wrath of the gods uh, in this um, really amazing uh, debut novel, um, reimagining Norse mythology and delving into Ragnarok, which is uh, a familiar term for some of us, but means basically the end of the world, which uh, uh, hints at maybe some of the climactic action of this book. But it is really a book about this magic user, Angraboda, who falls in love with Loki and becomes a mother, but she's got a whole host of problems that she's dealing with. She's currently banished from Asgard. Odin himself is not too pleased with her because she has uh, refused to use her magic powers of uh, seeing the future to help him, and she's, she's cast out. She flees to the farthest reaches of a remote forest where she forges a friendship, first of all, with a fierce huntress known as Scotty, but then comes across this guy named Loki and sparks fly and one thing leads to another. And this is the story of Angraboda and this uh, the, these three unusual children that are produced from the union between her and Loki. But it's when her prophetic powers of seeing the future return to her that she's able to learn that this temporarily blissful life that she has found uh, could lead to possibly the end of all existence. <laughs> So we're chatting with Genevieve Gornacek about her fascination with Norse mythology. And we start off talking about how she came as close as possible to actually majoring in Vikings. She's basically a neighbor to us. We're here based in Michigan, just north of Detroit. And she is down in Cleveland, an alumnus of The Ohio State University. But we're shedding more light on this fascinating character who has not really been elucidated very much at all when it comes to you know, those those ancient poems and those old mythological stories. You know, she's known as the mother of Fenrir, who is a, a kind of a monstrous wolf. But other than being the mother of three monsters, she's, she's not really elaborated upon. So we start there with our chat with Genevieve Gornacek, author of The Witch's Heart, her debut novel. Genevieve, thanks for joining us on our podcast. It's so good to see you. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Congrats on this book. It is fantastic. Thank you so much. The cover art is fantastic. The tagline, men die, gods die, she lives on, is one of the most badass like taglines I've ever seen. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> and let's start right there. This is kind of, this is really endearing, but also kind of a this is kind of a badass story, Genevieve. And it's one that I I was not familiar with. And I feel like there's there's maybe two camps really in the in the response to this book. I've seen folks who say, yes, finally, someone's telling her story. And folks like me are like, I was never familiar with this story. Can you <laughs> tell me about the inspiration to, to bring uh, Angraboda's life and story to, to, a, to a book? It's fantastic. So tell me about tell us about that inspiration. Thank you so much. Uh, she was a character that I kind of saw underrepresented um, uh-huh. in fiction and um, kind of in, in the Norse mythology fandom, which I briefly dipped my head into 10 years ago around the time that I wrote this book. 
And basically, I got really interested in her uh, when I was an undergrad in college, uh, taking a Norse mythology course. I wrote my term paper on her and kind of her associations with other mysterious women in the mythology, right. of which there are many, because women in Norse mythology do not get much screen time unless they're Freyg or Freya, right. um, who, are, who are both amazing. Sure. But, um, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But it, but it is um, like this, this is a, a, a lazy connection, but like... E e it made me think of how, God forbid, anyone speak ill of J.R.R. Tolkien, but but women are <laughs> women are very brushed over in even that story. Uh, yeah. So this just accentuates how uh, women are always just we just move past them. They're a they're a footnote, and this is just this is a really um, it's a wonderful read that she she gets her she gets her due. Um, and I have to ask uh, just about more so about how much of a of a how much you love Norse mythology. We have to start there. I mean, it's, it's, I can't resist asking about how you folks can read little bios of you and it'll say that you almost uh, majored in Vikings. Tell us about Vikings. And then also maybe tell us about, I think you were in Sweden for a while. So tell us about all that. Yeah. So how it happened was, is that I went to Sweden uh, my junior year of college mm -hmm. for a semester. I'm walking around and I'm like, oh, there's a runestone. There's a runestone. I don't really know what this means. I don't know anything about Vikings except that they were here at some time that I don't, I don't know what exactly that time is. Mm -hmm. um, but while I was in Sweden and I was there um, because I chose to go there because I was learning the language. My grandfather came from Sweden. So uh, I was trying to get, you know, it really into it. Um, and then I decided to do Scandinavian studies minor came back to the States. My first semester back, there was an old Norse class in the department. And I was like, okay. And it's a, a translation class because nobody like really speaks old Norse. It's, it's, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to modern Icelandic, but nobody really like speaks it. Sure. So um, we translated some of the myths and that was amazing. And the rest was history. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then the next semester I took a uh, Norse mythology class. I got even more into it. And then an Icelandic saga class and I got even more into it. So I took <laughs> every class in the department. Um, I had a great professor who, who really, um, you know, helped foster my love for this. Just, you know, you can always tell when a professor like cares re really deeply about their subject, just mm -hmm. by how they lecture mm -hmm. and just her style of lecturing really like clicked with me. Yeah. I have to imagine this led to you spending lots of time in libraries too. Just yes. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then um, once I had gotten into grad school but couldn't make it work out, I was going to go for Viking studies. Um, uh, I bought a Viking outfit online and went to the medieval fair to try to get out some of that passion, like in a different uh, different way. Uh, got scooped up by the local reenactment group that I didn't know existed, <laughs> um, and then the rest is history. I even met my partner through it. So. Oh, that's so great! <laughs> that's so great. That almost feels like a book unto itself. You could do a memoir yeah, next, right? Um, but tell us about this this character, uh, Angraboda, and we we start. I mean, just put us. But it's where this book begins. Uh, life is not great for her. Uh, she is not really living the coziest of lifestyles. She's, uh, one could say she's in quite a bit of pain and, and she's yes. pretty much an outcast. Um, tell us about getting into her head and her heart at the start of this story. She's just very done at the beginning of the story. <laughs> yes. Like she doesn't like my favorite kind of character is the reluctant protagonist, almost like the Bilbo Baggins, if you will, who just does not want to go on an adventure, does not just wants a quiet life. And if all of this adventure and excitement would stay far away from me, that would be great. Uh, and then Angerboda is, you know, discovered by Loki and all of that's out the window. 
because of who Loki is as a person. Sure. Um, but it was it was it was hard to get in her head because she really you know, she she's out there, she's she doesn't want to connect with anybody, and then she connects with people and she kind of wants it more, but she's still not lonely. But when they drop by, it's fine. And as an introvert, like I I identify mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. People are great sometimes, but the rest of the time just leave me in my cave. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about meeting Loki and uh here's what's interesting I don't know what what other readers experience would be but I'll be a little candid uh when when Loki comes on to the page and has a dialogue with Angraboda uh it it is there's a lot of sparks and um I always wind up getting really frustrated against Loki and uh very and I and I admire her uh her her patience with him um I, I was wondering so tell us about getting into to loki's head and how he uh how you were able to make him tell that line of being just kind of a an outright jerk <laughs> uh i love loki yeah um and a lot of the the way that i had interpreted him and wrote him in this book um was a lot due to the frustrations that i had about people either writing him one way or another he's either evil like an uh, just an evil agent of chaos yeah. with no redeeming qualities, or he is a sweet baby who never did anything wrong and nothing was ever his fault. So I kind of tried to to nuance him a little bit more. Like, why does he do the things that he does in this mythology? Um, and like, who does he have who's on his side right. um, besides Angerboda and his wife in Asgard, Sigyn, who is also who I also love. Sure. I love all of them. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I mean, that kind of happens within the first 100 pages where he is uh, devoted to our protagonist, but also devoted to a wife uh, back back in Asgard. Not not a spoiler there, but, you know, yeah. that is the 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 thing you're able to achieve with with Loki is that I did get a sense that he, you know, he, he's brisk, but um, he you get a sense that he cares about her, too. Yeah, um, I think he he really cares about yeah. both of them. Yeah. Um, and. I think that had had Loki made different decisions in the novel, I feel like that could have been successful all around. Mm-hmm. Like maybe introducing Angerboda and Sigyn mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than when they accidentally met uh, mm-hmm. and everything went really, really badly right. after that for all of them. <laughs> right. Uh, l- let's talk about um, a number of the themes that come in this book. And I'm, I guess I'm just curious which, with which one was I guess the strongest spark for you to start it because this is an exploration of motherhood, uh, an exploration of that uh, tolerance that she has for Loki and the <laughs> romance angle. Uh, it's an exploration of let's have some empathy for magic users. You never see empathy for witches. And it's an right. exploration for female friendship uh, and, more. Um, and more. But but those are the four <laughs> things that, that really hit me. Um, were there any of those four that you were really excited about first? I know that's a broad Honest, question. Yeah. Well, like, honestly, going into it, I was all about Loki. I was yeah, like, okay. mm, wow, this is going to be a Loki story. <laughs> Angerboda and Loki forever. Sure. Uh, and li- about like halfway through the book, I was like, you know what? I don't ship it. I don't <laughs> I don't ship it. Yeah. Um, which was great because the way that I was writing it, they were going to Scotty. So. Sure. Sure. <laughs> without spoiling sure. for anybody listening who hasn't read the book. Um, but that relationship between them, right. um, their friendship and then, so, and so on, um, that was like a surprise to me. Like I was planting the seeds of that as I was writing. And then when it happened, I was like, Oh, 
I just learned something, not just about these characters, but also about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, quasi avoiding that spoiler territory, it is uh, uh, that maybe maybe precognition is a bit of a, maybe it is a, maybe it's a curse. I don't know if it's a curse yeah. to, to know, uh, to, to know the future, but that is, that is her power. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, that was just an interesting element to play with. So obviously, uh, again, not a spoiler. It happens early. Um, there are offspring that that happen from this union between between Loki and Angrabota, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's a lot of the the compelling drama of the book is what what she will do. So, but I don't know. Tell us more about tell us more about getting into to Angrabota's head because she has to, I guess, locate a lot of resolve and mm-hmm. a lot of fortitude for herself and. That that was that was so compelling to me. Um, again, there there might be folks listening to this podcast who who don't know her yet. So if if tell us a little bit more about why you found her so compelling and, and what you enjoyed most about writing her. I I enjoyed that she was so unflappable, like yeah. she, totally unfazed by like all the weird stuff going. Like her kids are animals. It's fine. Right. Um, she has that to live in a, a little, cave. It's fine. Yeah, that was a little bit hard to get into her head, like in that aspect, because it is so weird. It's so out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just in combining like all of these female figures from the mythology, I kind of had to ask myself, like, okay, I gave this this woman basically phenomenal cosmic power. Mm-hmm. What kind of person would she have to be to not use that power to bring, like, stop Ragnarok? Stop the things that are destined to happen to her children. Right. Um, and I think maybe some readers were expecting that for Ragnarok to be thwarted or for her to triumph over all the gods. And to those readers, I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I was a stickler for staying true to the myths. So that kind of formed my mental image of Angerboda and what she was like as a person. And we don't know that much about her. We literally only know that she had these kids with Loki and then they were taken away. Right. That's not a spoiler that's literally what happens in the mythology and that's all we know about right, her right and then tell us a little bit about uh writing scotty which is really uh, another fascinating character i actually i i tore through the first 50 pages of the book before i actually mm-hmm. read the inside flap um oh, so, i do that too it's okay i <laughs> spoil so, myself that way sometimes <laughs> so when i first encounter scotty scotty as a reader i'm like okay well maybe she's gonna meet like a number of characters and scotty's just the first character along the way and she stays around so tell us yeah. about writing her Oh my gosh, I I, I love her. Uh, Scotty was just one of those characters that just stomped onto the page, yeah. like just stormed into the book and just came in like fully formed, knowing exactly <laughs> who she is. She's such a foil to Angerboda that way because Angerboda spends the book trying to kind of reforge her identity and gain something. Uh, Scotty from the beginning is like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing her basically was a result of the Norse myth where the gods kill her father. Yeah, She gets her armor and weapons and goes to Asgard and is like, you know, going to compensate me for this or are we going to fight? Am I going to have to punt you into the sun? <laughs> and just that story, like I formed her entire character sure. around that story because it's just so good. And then, and then in the myth where Loki is bound uh, before Ragnarok, she is the one who places the snake above his head mm-hmm. to drip the venom on his face. And so I was like, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Did she have a thing with Loki? Is she mad about her father dying and Loki's part in that story? Or was it something else? Right. Eyebrow wiggle. Right. Uh, and then the the dialogue is so snappy in this book. It is so snappy. And I wondered if that was um, because this is a tale as old as time, even if we were mm-hmm. just to say women being overlooked, that is 
as contemporary today as it is. So, I, mm -hmm. th but this is a very, you know, this is mythology. It's an old story. So was that um, a decision you made that you were going to kind of give it, if you know what I mean, kind of this modern angle where people could have an entryway where the dialogue feels like it is a little, a little snappy, not like it's, I don't, it's, they're not making pop culture references, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That was a decision yeah. because I really, I really wanted to make this more accessible. Yeah. Um, I wanted people who had never heard of these, these characters, never heard of this time period um, to be able to, to enjoy the story. Um, and that's why I kind of like, I also tried to keep the prose a little bit simplistic too, and not go over, like not, I tried not to overwrite it. Right. Um, because with, even with the names alone, like my mom, when she like read the blurb or whatever, she was like, Oh honey, is there going to be a pronunciation guide in here? I don't know. I don't know who any of these people are. So like, I, I really tried to cater not just to the, the geeks like me, but like to everybody who might be interested in this book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was going to ask what you found uh, most fulfilling about this, about writing this book, if we probably already touched on it, but is there anything else that you found um, challenging about writing this book? Something that you kind of had to, I mean, what, because this is, as I said, there's a lot of themes going on. Was there something about, was there, how'd you get into the groove for finishing it, I guess? <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah. Uh, I had to rewrite the ending three times. Okay. Uh, the original ending was very sad. It ended with Angerboda in her cave being like, guess I'll die. Like with <laughs> no, no, you know, she doesn't get anything back that she lost. Yeah. So my editor challenged me with crafting a more satisfying ending that doesn't, she's like, I know that you are, you know, so attached to the source material and you want to do it justice. But mm -hmm. I think that there's a way that you can actually make this more satisfying for readers um, with everybody dying at the end. That can't be a spoiler. Ragnarok happens. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, anyone who knows the meaning of that word, indeed. Right. <laughs> uh, what about um, what's up? You know, this is a, a fantastic book out in 2021. It's almost 2022. Do you have future mm -hmm. plans, things you're looking forward to or working on next? None that I could speak of right now, okay. but I don't intend on straying too far from the Viking stuff. Okay, great. So, great. <laughs> Genevieve, thanks for joining us on this podcast. It's been so great to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's been amazing chatting with you too. Thank you so much for having me on. And that was our chat with Genevieve Gornischek, author of The Witch's Heart. That's her debut novel. It came out in 2021, and we are so glad to have her on the podcast, giving Angraboda her due. That'll do it for our show this week. It's a little too quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. If you want to support this podcast, you could go to ferndalefriends.org. The music that you hear at the start and the end of each episode is by a local musician known as Zunset. Please remember to rate, review, or follow us. Uh, leave uh, maybe a five-star review or maybe leave a comment. It will help us find more listeners, and we appreciate that. And if you liked this episode, share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.